We're going to be looking at the book of Numbers, chapter 21, to begin with. And if you want to get a little bit ahead, we'll go from there to John, chapter 3, to mark in your Bibles. But before I get started, let me just say how delighted I am to be here with you. Debbie and I flew over Wednesday night from Albany, Georgia. And I was glad to be able to get here a few days earlier to spend time with your pastor and Nancy. We just we just had some great uh, time of fellowship, getting to know each other better. And uh, I've seen your beautiful country, which has just overwhelmed us. I'm glad I brought Debbie with me to be the photographer. <laughs> and we just really enjoyed it. And I thank you, Norm and Nancy, for uh, putting up with us and... Uh, your hospitality is just uh, uh, its nothing to compare with it. But also, I'm glad that we got here a few days earlier uh, because of last night getting to sit and have a meal with you folks and, uh, and then tonight to, to be able to visit with you. And I look forward to the next two days that we can do that. I do bring you greetings from your brethren in Albany, Georgia at Eager Avenue Grace Church. And uh, uh, it was uh, such an ex- uh, shot in the arm to me that Brother Norm would uh, would want me to come and preach to you. But he and I, we preach the same gospel. And uh, I will tell you this, uh, uh, when uh, a couple of years ago when uh, Brother Norm called me, Debbie and I were going through a real rough time in our lives with a, an illness, a fatal illness to, to our oldest son, and we were at the, a hospital with him, and Brother Norm called me. And uh, I had met him before, but we hadn't really connected, and uh, he expressed a desire to, to have fellowship with me and friendship, and it was a real, real uh, light, uh, a real boost to me during that time that the Lord providentially sent your pastor or put it on his heart to do that, and I, I thank you. It's, I thank God for you. And so I'm looking forward to being able to preach to you, and... Uh, uh, to meet and talk with you even even more this weekend. But with that in mind, let, let's get to it. I, I learned early on, uh, I, was a, I was a member of Pastor Henry Mahan's preacher school back in the early 80s, 1980s. And I learned early on that every message should have four goals. And the number one goal is to glorify God. And then secondly, to give Christ all the preeminence. I'm here to talk about Christ. I'm not here to talk about me. I'm not even here to lift you all up or anything like that. I'm here to talk about Christ. And that's what lifts God's people up. Amen. And then thirdly, it ought to be aimed that if God's pleased to use it for the salvation of sinners, to call his sheep into the fold. And number four, to edify and unify and encourage God's people. And that's what I would like to do. I'm going to talk about, since we're here, we're here to do one thing, to lift up Christ. And so that's the title of the message, Christ Lifted Up. And as you know, we, we're going back to an Old Testament historical event in the life of Moses and the children of Israel as they had been brought out of the bondage of, of Egypt. And... As you know, uh, the people of Israel uh, often complained, murmured, the scripture says, uh, 
And of course, that's a product of unbelief. And listen to what it says here in verse 4 of Numbers 21. It says, They journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged or grieved because of the way. And the people spoke unto, against Moses. They went after God's prophet. But it didn't stop there. They, 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 they spoke against God and they spoke against Moses. Wherefore, they asked, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Now that one statement, and you know the light bread that he was talking about. The word light there means nourishing. He's talking about the manna that God sent to the children of Israel. And they said, our soul loatheth this light bread. Now those words and the attitudes of the people reflect the problem of man by nature. All of us. In sin and depravity. That light bread, that manna, was a picture of Christ, the bread of life. And by nature, we loathe the true and living God and His Christ and His way of salvation. We love our way. We want our way that glorifies us, that gives us credit. We were talking about it the other night, how man by nature it insists on salvation in some way, at some stage, to some degree, conditioned on himself so that he might have some glory. And he loathes, we, we all, by nature, we loathe this light bread. We loathe God's way, the true way of Christ. You see, the greatest evidence of spiritual death, we're all, we fell in Adam and we're born dead in trespasses and sins. The Scripture teaches us. And the greatest evidence of spiritual death and total depravity is that we by nature do not know and do not desire and do not believe in the true and living God as He reveals Himself in the Scriptures. We do not believe in His Christ who brings His way of salvation by His sovereign free grace based upon what Christ accomplished on behalf of God's elect. We want salvation conditioned on ourselves. We want to be able to say that we contributed in some way to the righteousness that God will accept for our salvation and our justification. And people believe by nature now. And when we say by nature, I'm talking about how we are born naturally. The natural man. 1 Corinthians 2. The natural man what doth receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. They're spiritually discerned. Now, if you're spiritually dead, you don't have spiritual discernment, understanding. And so people believe that they can do something to attain or maintain salvation by their cooperation with God. But the Bible says otherwise. People think they're wiser than God. You read passages of Scripture. For by grace are you saved, through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Oh, but we all have a spark of goodness. We all, have, we all can muster up that decision and rise above the crowd who decide otherwise and give ourselves some glory. Well, my friend, that's not God's way. 
And that's why we must be born again by the Spirit. We don't, what, what did Christ tell Nicodemus? Except you're born again by the Spirit, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You don't have spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear. And by nature we have no taste or desire for the manna, the true manna, which God sends from, sent from heaven, which is Christ. By nature we all desire the things of the world, even its self-righteous works of religion. Man by nature is a, a religious animal, isn't he? Well, look at verse 6. It said, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now what is that teaching us? It's teaching us that the wages of sin is death. Sin, when it's finished, brings death. Just as, de as a deadly poison ran through the bodies of these people, sin is a deadly poison that we, that we received in our fall in Adam. All sin. And unless a remedy is found, it will kill us. Sin brings death. That's, that's the only, God is a God of judgment and justice. He condemns unto eternal damnation and death all sinners to whom He imputes, charges, accounts sin. That's why our only hope is to be found among those whom David called blessed. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Think about that. Look at verse 7. He says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Now this illustrates what happens when God the Holy Spirit brings a sinner to see his or her sinfulness and his or her need of a Savior. We cannot do this. We cannot cure the problem. We cannot survive this. Send Moses, the mediator of the old covenant between God and Israel. Send Moses. We need, we need one to stand for us, to speak to God for us, to go to God for us. And Moses himself here is a picture of Christ who is the one and only mediator between God and men. He's the only one who intercedes for his people. And look at verse 8. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Now listen to this, Make thee a fiery serpent. He says, And set it up on a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bidden, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Well, verse 9 says, Moses made a serpent of brass and put it up on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now here's where the, the picture of Christ switches from Moses to the brazen serpent on that pole. Showing that the only way of salvation from condemnation, from the poison of sin, is Christ lifted up on the cross. And you know how I know that? The same way you know it. You've got the best commentary on the Old Testament right there in front of you. It's called the New Testament. And if you'll turn over to John chapter 3. Now remember who Christ is speaking to here. He's speaking to Nicodemus, a religious man. You know, one of the things that, that bothered me the most when I first started hearing Brother Mayhem preach the gospel and, and when I was an unbeliever is that whenever he would talk about sin, he wouldn't talk about 
what the preachers I grew up under talked about, you know, the, the drug pushers, the drunks, the, the brothels, and all of that. The dirty movies and all. He talked about religious people. Religious people trying to get to heaven by their works. Well, that's who Christ is speaking to here. A man who was doing his dead level best <clears throat> to work out and earn a righteousness that God would accept. And he failed miserably just like all of us. Doesn't the Bible say in Romans 3.10, there, there is what? None righteous, no, not one. Now, it doesn't say there's none religious, no, not one. It doesn't say there's none trying to be righteous, no, not one. It just simply says what the case of all of us. There's none righteous, no, not one. We don't have a righteousness that equals and answers the demands of God's law and justice. And then it tells us this, that the perfection of righteousness that God requires and that we need to conquer sin can only be found in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it never can be found in us. It's always in Christ. But look here. He says in verse 14 of John 3. He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man. That's the Messiah. That's Messianic language. Who is the Messiah? He's God manifest in the flesh. God man. Every bit God. Every bit man without sin, the perfect God-man. And He must be lifted up. Just like Moses lifted up that serpent on the pole. Now you know exactly what He's talking about. He's talking about Himself being lifted up on that pole called the cross. How, in what way? As the surety of His people. What does that mean? He's my surety. It means my sin debt is counted to Him. Laid to his chart. Imputed to him. That's why the doctrine of imputation is so important, people. My sin debt was laid on Christ. And then, he was lifted up on that pole as my substitute. In order to pay my debt to God's law and justice, he had to actually take my place and go under the wrath of God. He had to burn up with the fire of God's wrath. Just like a brazen, you know, like brass. That's the, that's the metal of God's judgment. And it burned. And then in that transaction, in that great powerful work, successful work now, this is no trying to save me or you. This is no blanket pardon. This is no stack. This is a redemption. As my surety, my substitute, he redeemed me from my sins. That means we are bought lock, stock, and barrel. There's not one person for whom Christ died who will perish. Why? Because he was lifted up on that cross. Do you know this is the crux of redemptive history? Do you know right here this is the central issue of God's purpose and plan in eternity and time right here? Christ lifted up. And it's for this reason, verse 15, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. If He's not lifted up, there'll be nobody to believe on Him. And if He's not lifted up, if there were anybody to believe on Him, it would do Him no good. It's not our faith that saves us. 
It's the blood of Christ. And if he died for you, if he died for me, we will be brought to faith. And he says in verse 16, this is the reason God so loved the world. Now God is love, but he's a God of justice too. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What was he talking about here? God so loved the world. He's not talking about everybody without exception. I challenge you. Go th- get your concordance. Go through the Bible and look at the word world. It never means everybody without exception. Not one time. It always has a qualifier. Think about this one in, in 1 John chapter 5. I believe it's verse 21. He said, the whole world lieth in the wicked one. Is that talking about everybody without exception? Well, John, just before that, he made this statement. He said, we are of God. Who is the world here? It's the world of his sheep. It's the world of his elect. God's chosen people out of every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation for whom he stood surety, for whom he substituted himself on that pole, on that cross, whom he redeemed. And he will have them. He says in verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. What does that mean? Well, the world was already condemned. Christ didn't have to come into the world to condemn the world. It was already condemned. But that the world, the world of his people, might be through him, might be saved. Everything in salvation, every blessing of it, every benefit of it, is conditioned, not upon you or me, but upon this one great, powerful and miraculous person and work that he accomplished. Christ must be lifted up. And as you can see, this is speaking specifically of his cross work. Back over in Numbers 21, that serpent was made of brass. And as I said, brass is the metal that represents God's justice, God's judgment. Remember the brazen altar? That's where the sacrifice was killed. And the blood was, was let out. That's where God's judgment fell upon the sacrifice. God's judgment. Where God's wrath fell upon the sacrifice. And why is it a serpent? Now think about this. It's a serpent of brass. Think about that. How can that symbolize Christ? Because now, when we think of a serpent, we think of Satan, don't we? The serpent in the beginning. We think of evil. We think of something sinful. But here's the point. We all, even God's chosen people, by nature, as we're born into this world naturally, we are all aligned with Satan in our natural state. Look over at Ephesians chapter 2. Now what we're going to read here in the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2 applies to every one of us by nature. How we're born. Fallen in Adam. Ruined by the fall. It says in verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That was me before God gave me life. Spiritually dead. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. This unbelieving world. That's what he's talking about there. See, even here in the word world, he's not talking about everybody without exception. He's talking about the unbelieving world. Now that includes all who fell in Adam. Every last one of us who fell in Adam and were born dead in trespasses and sins, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. In the Bible, a child of disobedience is an unbeliever. Now, they may be an immoral pervert, or they may be a religious man like Nicodemus, but they're still children of disobedience. And then it says in verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation, our conduct, our walk, in times past, in the lust of our flesh. Normally, when we think of lust, we think of sexual immorality, sexual sin. But my friend, lust is any unlawful desire. If you desire God to save you any other way but His way in Christ by His grace, that's lust. And he says, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, as we're naturally born, the children of wrath, even as others. We were no different than those who were marked out for wrath from the beginning. The scripture te teaches us. You see, Christ had to be identified with people like us. <coughs> not in becoming one of us. Not in becoming a sinner, as some say today. He wasn't made a sinner. He never was a sinner. He never became a sinner. He never sinned. He never had a sinful thought, a sinful desire, a sinful motive. He was the perfect God-man, the Lamb without spot and without blemish, yet He had to identify with us and take our place under God's wrath for our sins imputed, charged, accounted to Him. And I think one of the best explanations you'll see of that is in Hebrews chapter 2. Look there with me, verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 2. This is another commentary on it, if you might want to say it that way. In verse 14 of Hebrews 2, it says, For as much then as children are the children, now who are the children? It's the children of God, whom He chose before the foundation of the world, whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the world began, who were adopted into God's family by His grace. That's what He's talking about, the elect, His sheep. And they're partakers of flesh and blood, and that's what we are. Christ also himself likewise in the same way took part of the same. Now the Bible tells us, especially over in Hebrews 4 and other places, that he was without sin, separate from us, but he was a human being. He's God manifest in the flesh, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. The devil doesn't have power to kill and make alive. That's not what he's saying there. The power of death that the devil has is the power of accusation. Did you know that? Over in, over in Revelation 12, I, I don't want to stray from this now, but I don't want to confuse you. But in Revelation 12, he's called the accuser of the brethren. Now, if somebody accuses you of a crime, and the police do the, the work they should do, and they find out you're guilty, what are they going to do? They're going to arrest you and take you to court, and you're going to be tried and convicted. But what if somebody accuses you of a crime you didn't commit? Then you should be let off scot-free. Well, Satan accuses the brethren. But his accusations don't stick. Satan could look at Norm Wells and say, Look there, Lord, Norm Wells is a sinner and he deserves death. And God can speak up. Our mediator can speak up and say, No, he doesn't. I put away his sins. I died for his sins. Death is justice has already been satisfied for Norm Wells. He has a righteousness. That answers the demands of God's law and justice. And he didn't have anything to do with working it out. It's the righteousness 
the righteous robe of Christ imputed to him. And Satan's arrows are turned away. The power of death is gone. And verse 15 here in Hebrews 2 says, Deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know what that bondage is? That's legalism. That's salvation conditioned on sinners. It keeps them busy because of the fear of death. But that's been removed in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And verse 16 says, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him, listen to it, the seed of Abraham. That's the elect. Galatians 3 tells us who are the seed of Abraham. Who are the spiritual descendants of Abraham? Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brought to faith by the gift of God. And look at verse 17. For wherefore, or for this reason, in all things, it behooved him. Now that word behooved is the Greek word for debt. Christ as our surety had taken on our debt. Which means he had to come and die on that cross for our sins. He must be lifted up. To be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation. Reconciliation between God and sinners for the sins of the people. You see that? Now this brazen serpent. What Moses took, he made and he lifted that up on a pole. Now that brazen serpent had the form of a serpent. But unlike the real serpents, it had no poison in it. Our Lord Jesus Christ was a man in the likeness of sinful man and was found in fashion as a man, but without the poison of sin. (laughs) Holy, harmless, undefiled. And he remained so while he was lifted up on that pole. And yet God was just in punishing his son because of our sins charged to his account. The Bible says he was made sin. How was he made sin? By the imputation of our sins to him. He was made a curse. Cursed is everyone that hangeth from a tree. How was he made a curse? By the imputation of our sins to his account. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That we who are so sinful in ourselves might be counted righteous. Now let me tell you something. That's no fake. That's no legal fiction. That's real in God's sight. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Now as the serpent was, was a cursed creature, the Lord Jesus Christ was made a curse for us when He hung upon that tree. And the brazen serpent lifted up was a fiery serpent. And our Lord Jesus Christ was made to endure the fiery wrath of God as our substitute. As one old writer said, he drank damnation dry. He quenched the fires of God's justice on behalf of his people. And his very soul was made to burn with the fires of hell when he was made sin for us. Lifted up on that pole. And notice in that story of Moses and the children of Israel, There was only one brazen serpent. There weren't several. One brazen serpent by which the Israelites could be cured. And even so, there's but one mediator between God and man. 
the man Christ Jesus. God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's one name given under heaven among men whereby you must be saved. Jesus Christ the Lord. Moses represented the law. And it was the law that lifted up Jesus Christ on that cross. The Bible says that in the fullness of the time, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. He was made accountable to keep the law for His people. And then the Scripture tells us in Romans 10, for that Christ is the end. That word end means the finishing, the fulfillment, the perfection of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Let me give you these things. Christ lifted up. You know, there were many ways in which he had to be lifted up. And of course, as we said here in this passage, that's Christ lifted up on the cross as the surety, the substitute, the redeemer of his people. Listen to this. First of all, Christ had to be lifted up before the foundation of the world in the everlasting covenant of grace. This was God's plan for His elect in Christ all along. This was no plan B. I'll never forget one time I was preaching on the fall of man and talking about God's purpose and providence and sovereignty and that. And a fundamentalist preacher wrote me an email. He said, I can't believe that you you think that God brought about the fall of man. And I wrote him back and I said, well, what do you think? That Satan sneaked up on God and took him by surprise? Before there was a sinner, there was a Savior. Paul spoke to Timothy of a salvation. Now listen to it. A salvation that was given us, His people, in Christ Jesus, before the world began. Everything, do you know that Christ being lifted up on that cross is the reason that we're even existing is the reason that this world was ever created. If Christ had not been lifted up before the foundation of the world, when God chose a people and in Christ and gave us to Christ to be our surety and to come in time and work it out on the cross, if that hadn't happened before the foundation, this world would have never been created. All of salvation was and is conditioned on Christ. And that's the assurance that we have of it. If it were conditioned on me, it'd be a failure. And you too. You know that if you've been convicted of sin. And that includes me at my best. I say this all the time in preaching, that if God were to judge me based upon my best, I would be in hell forever. Because I always fall short. You see, God's standard of judgment, what does He say? Acts 17.31 God has appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained in that He hath given assurance unto all men and that He hath raised Him from the dead. You see, your issue is not how do you compare with me or Brother Norm or, or anybody else. How do you compare with Christ? I can tell you, by God's grace, I can say honestly, I love the Lord. 
And I can say honestly that I love you as my brethren. But my friend, my love is not good enough to equal the righteousness that can only be found in Christ. You understand what I'm saying? He was lifted up in the covenant of grace. The Bible says all the promises of God, all those covenant promises. Now how many does that mean? That means all of them are in Him, yea, and in Him, amen. amen. 2 Corinthians 1.20. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying none of the blessings or the benefits of salvation, even unto final glory, is up to us. It's all based upon the glorious person and the finished work of Christ. Here's another one. Having died for our sins, Christ must be lifted up from the grave. Why was he resurrected? I had a professor in seminary tell, say it this way. Well, God had to demonstrate before people that he was able to raise the dead. Absolutely not. You know why he was risen from the dead? Because in his death he finished the work. He accomplished something. He accomplished redemption. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. If one person could die and go to hell for whom Christ died, he wouldn't have been risen. He would have been a failure. That's right. He accomplished redemption. And he said it this way in John 6, 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And he said, This is the Father's will that hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. He came out of that grave because God is a just God and a Savior. Just and justified. Righteousness and peace kissed each other. Christ did it. Sin demands death. He put away my sins. Righteousness demands life. He established righteousness. Daniel said it back in Daniel 9.24. He's going to make an end of sin. He's going to finish the transgression. He's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. Seal up the testimony. Here's another one. Having died and been raised from the dead, Christ must be lifted up unto glory. Where is He now? He's seated in the heavenlies, ever living to do what? To pray for us. To make intercession for us. Think about that. Norman and I were talking about, I think yesterday, but can you imagine Peter, the Apostle Peter, after he denied all the things that Peter did as a sinner, which we all are. And you remember when Christ came to him and he said, Peter, he said, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. And then those last words he said, but I pray for you. Well, if you're a child of God, if you're a sinner saved by grace, He's praying for you. What assurance there is. Now, I pray for you. Your pastor prays for you. You pray for one another. And we ought to. But the assurance comes from His intercessory work. Again, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who can condemn us? It's Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, and seated at the right hand of the Father ever living to make intercession for us. He must be lifted up in glory. He must forever intercede for His people. And then, having died for us, 
and having been raised from the dead, and now lifted up unto glory to intercede for us, what, how else must he be lifted up? He must draw us to himself. None of us will look to Christ and believe in Christ and love Christ and obey Christ until we're born again by the Spirit and drawn unto Him. He said, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. You must be born again. And the new birth doesn't come by our decision like most people believe today. You ever seen these books written, How to Be Born Again? You believe and then you're born. That's a lie. We're not born by our wills. We're born by the will of God and the power of God. It's a resurrection from the dead. It's a, do you realize that if you're really a believer who's been brought to repentance of faith in Christ and repentance of dead works, you're a miracle? For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto, not because of, but unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Well, in order to be drawn to Him, two things must happen in lifting Christ up. Number one, Christ must be lifted up in the preaching of the gospel. You've got to hear of Him. That's right. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. It pleased the Lord by the foolishness of preaching to save them that come unto God. He's got to be lifted up. You know, he said back here, he said, look, everyone who looked at the serpent lived. And I remember Brother Scott Richardson preaching a message, salvation's in a look. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I'm God and there's none else. Well, you can't look at what you can't see. And the only way you're going to see Christ is in the gospel. By the preaching of the doctrine of Christ. Now there are preachers today who will tell you that, it's, that you don't arrive at Christ through doctrine. Will you let me know how you arrive at Him then? Think about that. I had a preacher tell me that and I said, well, okay, let, let me give you an example. I said, let's say I come off the banana boat and I've never heard the name of Jesus, never, saw, never heard the gospel, and you're going to witness to me. What would you say? He said, well, I'll tell you about Jesus who's the Son of God. I said, well, now wait a minute, that's doctrine. That's preaching Him as Savior and as the Son of God. i tell you about His accomplished work. Well, that's the doctrine of the atonement. You can't, you can't see Christ without His doctrine. That's why God does not save sinners under the preaching of a lie. Why? Because Christ must be lifted up. And these preachers going around telling, the, telling people blanketly, God loves you and Christ died for you. First of all, I'd ask you, where's that in the Bible? It's not. And secondly, in saying that, they're not lifting up Christ. Not the true Christ. They're lifting up a false Christ. But here's the second thing for him to draw us unto himself. He must be lifted up within our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Until the Holy Spirit comes and gives us a new heart. Gives us eyes to see, ears to hear. Brings us to, from spiritual death to spiritual life. And lifts up Christ within our hearts. We won't believe. You must look to Christ. The gift of faith and repentance and perseverance. 
the look of God, given, God-given faith that fixes our eyes firmly on Christ and turns our eyes away from everything else in repentance. We first sinned with a look. Remember it says Eve saw that the, the tree was good for food. But we're saved by a look. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. We're kept with a look. What is the Christian life? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we're preserved by a look. Christ lifted up in our hearts. I pray that the Lord will do that for every one of us as He sees fit in His sovereign mercy to bring us to Christ. All right.